This is Santia Deck, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. You've been camping in your backyard, cycling in your living room. You've been enjoying rain showers in your bathroom, campfires on your TV screen. You've been counting stars and birds from your window and holding family cookouts in the kitchen. Now, get ready to go. Go on a real vacation. Take the wheel at your nearest RV dealer or at GoRVing.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. On the program, I have Craig Loper. He is a sports reporter and anchor for the CBS affiliate WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We're going to talk a little Southern University football, also LSU and New Orleans Saints. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Robinson Show. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. All right, everybody, welcome back to the program. And now let's bring him on. He is the sports reporter for the uh, sports reporter and anchor for the CBS affiliate WAFB TV in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We're going to talk a little Southern football, also LSU and New Orleans Saints as well. Let's welcome him to the program, Craig Loper. Hello, Craig. How's everything? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, thanks again for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to come along on the program. So let's jump right to it. Let's talk uh, the 2020 Southern University football season. Now, Southern recently released its schedule, and it's a, a revised schedule. It's a reduced schedule. They're only going to be playing for the moment. They're only going to be playing nine games this year because we know about uh, the current ongoing situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. So September the 5th was supposed to be the big Detroit classic against Tennessee state. That game has been canceled. And then the game in um, the game uh, September the 12th, which was against uh, Florida A&M, that game was canceled as well. So Southern for the moment will have their, uh, will start their season on September the 19th. We know about the COVID-19 pandemic and the current situ- uh, ongoing health situation. I want to ask you, Craig, are you optimistic that Southern will begin on September the 19th as planned, or do you think more changes will be made to the schedule? You know, that's that's a great question because here's where I'm at on, on this whole thing. I, the answer to your question is I really don't know. I don't know what to think because this thing is such a fluid situation I guess I'm naturally an optimist in terms of every how I live my life. So, yes, I'm optimistic, but at the same time, the narrative and the things that I'm seeing and the things that I'm hearing from um, – I have, I have a couple uh, coaches, coach, coaching friends, one in college and one who spent time in the NFL. Now he's a head coach at, at the high school level. 
And what I'm hearing from them is I don't know. They don't know. And if they don't know and how they're feeling, I kind of, I kind of read, you know, get their reads off them. And I'm just like, this is fluid. It's such a fluid situation. So yes, I have optimism just because I think deep down, I, you know, everyone wants the season to happen, but at the same time, um, with this fluid situation and second wave and, and just the more so the logistics behind it um, and the resources specifically, you know, at the slack level and uh, testing and the personnel that everyone's got to be there. It's, it seems like a very strong uphill battle um, and we'll see what happens. So who knows? The question is, I don't know. I do have optimism and I hope they play Alabama A&M in Huntsville to open the season. You mentioned a great point, Craig. Let's talk about testing. We know that recently NC, a lot of uh, several NCAA Division I programs have had players and athletes that have tested for the COVID-19, uh, including LSU, which we'll get to LSU in just a little bit. But as far we've seen Division I schools that have aggressively tested their athletes for the COVID-19, and there have been some players that have tested positive do you know of anything of, of what Southern has done in terms of getting their athletes and, and aggressively testing them for the COVID-19? Have, have provisions been made for, for not just the football program, but for uh, their athletic programs to, um, to try their best to combat this pandemic? Yeah, well, so here's where Southern's at right now as an athletic department. Nobody's back together on campus yet. They're not, they're not like LSU. They didn't reconvene on June 9th. Southern's not scheduled to come back until uh, July 8th or 9th, I believe. I can't remember if it's the 8th or the 9th. But they're not scheduled to come back until the 8th or the 9th. So they have, they have a little bit more time, and they, they will have given themselves a little bit more time um, than the bigger, you know, SEC schools and stuff like that. And from uh, my last conversation with Doc Notums, which was, I don't know, probably, probably three weeks ago or something like that, and then everything, I talked to Roman Banks uh, uh, when the schedule revisions came out, and from the beginning, what they've told us is, you know, they had, they, they're going to put every precaution in place that they can um, in terms of testing, in terms of social distancing. So, um, obviously, they don't have the sort of capacity and resources like a big SEC school would have. But in this situation, uh, you know, they're also they're working with health officials that are coming in to the facilities um, and teaching their athletic training staff how they need to do this, the logistics of it, which players can use this entrance, which players can use that entrance, what coaches, what entrance the coaches can come in, if that's a possibility. And so they're not just, you know, putting this together on a whim out there on their own. They're literally actually working with a lot of people down here from the Oshner Hospital. Um, I've been out at local high schools recently doing some stories, and um, there's, a, there's staffers from Oshner that are actually assigned to two to three high schools, and they will check those high schools, if not every day, every few days, to make sure that they are following every social distancing protocol that they can, and they're teaching the coaches how to administer, um, you know, these social distancing protocols, you know, taking people's temperatures, what to watch for, and ultimately, obviously, what to do. So I think the, the positive test that you saw out of LSU and Clemson and Texas and Alabama and stuff, all that stuff was inevitable. Um, you know, everything we know about COVID, it's not if, it's when. Um, and so now now that it does happen in these, in these big-time schools, people realize, okay, look, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of how we respond to it and how we, how we keep it, uh, keep the numbers down, which I don't know if it's really truly possible, but they're going to try their hardest to make sure it is. So Southern will also take every, you know, protocol seriously. 
um, when they get back to campus on July July 8th or 9th for all their student athletes, and, and hopefully uh, they can all come out of this relatively healthy as well. Good to hear, Craig, that the university is being proactive and they're taking those uh, steps to, to attempt to have their uh, have a football season this year. Let's stay with, with the testing for a moment. We know Southern is in the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and then the powerhouse schools in the school, it, the powerhouse schools that you have in that conference, you have uh, Grambling State University, you have Jackson State, you've got Alabama State, there's Texas Southern, there's also Alcorn, there's Prairie View, Arkansas Pine Bluff, and then you have Mississippi mm-hmm. Valley. Are you aware of the other schools in the SWAC that are doing the same testing protocols as, as Southern in order to uh, try their best to beat, beat the pandemic and try to try to right. jump ahead of it before the, the football program returns on campus? I'm, I'm not aware specifically of, of how the other schools do it. Obviously, here in Baton Rouge, I'm, I'm focused on Southern and kind of what they do. But, um, uh, so I'm not aware of specifically what they're doing. I'd imagine it's, you know, it's the same thing at every university. They're probably working with their officials from a, from a local hospital and, and admit and, and you know adhering to every guideline they can. I, I will say this though, when when it comes to you mentioned Grambling, um, uh, about three four days ago, actually it was it was Wednesday this Wednesday this past week. You know the head coach Broderick Frob sent out a tweet and was pretty pretty uh, strong worded, just talking about you know basically we don't need to be reconvening for workouts. He was kind of, in a way, I guess criticizing all these you know these bigger schools that are that are back together saying there's too many positive tests that are coming out and we don't need to be working out. If we care about the health and safety of these student athletes, then what are we doing pretty much? You know, he said, this is someone's child. Um, we shouldn't be together for workouts. And, and he was pretty strong worded on that. And that, that tweet got a lot of attention, obviously, because he is a division one football coach and that's someone that, that took a hard stance on it and, and, and is standing behind his words. So, um, that specifically kind of tells you maybe at Grambling, maybe they're going to do things a little differently in terms of when they get back together because maybe the coach doesn't think and believe that his team needs to be back together until they are 200% confident that they can uh, do everything in their power to mitigate the spread um, and all get together safely, you know what I'm saying, to to get together for some from workouts. And ultimately, you know, these they got to get – in my opinion, these kids have to have at least three weeks of practice before you step out on the field, you know, and play a game. There's just you got to give your body time to adjust. The strength coaches need their time to basically what I would call progressive overload these kids' bodies. You got to start light, get a little bit, get a little bit more progressive, get a little bit more progressive, and try to work them up to peak um, for the first game of the season. But I, I think you need about three weeks to do that. So. Um, those are the only that's the only knowledge of specifically a, a school outside of the SWAC that I know about Southern, you know, Coach Fobbs has been very vocal. But outside of that, I couldn't tell you. I, I would just imagine that, you know, they're trying to do as much as they can and adhering to the same guidelines that everyone else is. Okay, fair enough. And then, of course, uh, you know, uh, head coach Broderick Fobbs at Grambling making that uh, comment at Twitter, very open about that. And um, speaking of something that's been very open, the COVID-19 pandemic has also posed a lot of financial challenges it's posed some financial challenges not not just in the division one programs but also with the hbcus craig you know that uh funding is very scarce and it's 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 very sporadic when it comes to hbcus how are do do you have any insight on the financial hit that hbcus will southern and southern in particular could take in 2020 if there is no if there is no football or even with this 
a reduced, revised schedule that they have? Yeah, I think the number that I saw, and, and I'd have to double-check, I don't know if it was in terms of losing a season, but, I, but I'm, I'm about 95% sure when it was talking about the um, the Tennessee State and FAMU game specifically, I think the number that I saw that they miss out on is $750,000 um, when it comes to playing those, you know, not playing those two games, right? So, you know, you sign these contracts to play the games, you get the money and all that type of stuff, but in this situation – if they're missing the games, they're going to miss out on the, like I said, the number I saw was $750,000. So, yeah, uh, at, a, at an HBCU, you know, Division One FCS level, every dollar counts. You know, since I've been covering Southern uh, since 2016, they've always had to, uh, they, I mean, they played Georgia in 2015. They played TCU in 2018. Uh, they played Memphis last year. So those big money games are very important to the, lifeblood of, you know, I know it's a football game, but that money is for the whole athletic department. So that's for the bowling team. That's for the women's soccer team. That's for the, the softball team. That, that sort of money helps tremendously um, at a program with just, you know, not as many resources, not as big as, as network, not as big as, you know, in attendance in the stands and the TV contracts, you know, what that LSU gets and the bigger schools get just the Southern, you know, doesn't have, you know, that sort of money. So um, that was the number that I heard. Um, and in terms of the overall season, I'd imagine it's, it, it would be more than that, uh, maybe it's slightly more than that. But, you know, it's tough. It's going to be tough no matter which way you cut it. Uh, people are going to take losses. Uh, and we've already seen across the country uh, various schools cut programs entirely. Uh, I, I can't remember what school it was. Someone cut men's soccer. I don't know if it was Cincinnati or something like that. Someone cut men's soccer. Other te- other. There's been a few other schools that have cut programs just because, you know, they're not going to be able to afford it anymore. So it's uh, it's the unfortunate, you know, reality of this situation. And, and Southern is not, um, is not uh, you know, going to be able to prevent it. You know, obviously, if that's going to be the case, it's, they're going to probably do everything in their power to hold on to it, but at the end of the day, when you when you're losing money, it's uh, it's hard for everyone. So Southern Southern's no different in that instance. One last question regarding Southern: we, we've I've heard some information in regards to this year's Bayou Classic. It may not be in New mm-hmm. Orleans this year, or it could possibly be canceled. What what's the latest on the Bayou Classic? I know it's it's still early and it's still a fluid situation, but what what have yeah. you heard in terms of? Uh, possibly uh, moving the Bayou Classic or maybe rescheduling. What's the latest on that? Right. Right. Well, the official Bayou Classic committee put out a statement a few days ago uh, just saying, hey, no, no, no final decision has been made. Um, they put out that statement in response to Roman Banks' uh, uh, Board of Supervisors meeting that was uploaded to YouTube in which he clearly stated uh, the Bayou Classic won't be in New Orleans this year, and then the, the, they're looking at the Independence Bowl uh, or Independence Stadium in Shreveport um, on the campus at Southern or at Tiger Stadium. So that's what he mentioned. But the Bayou Classic Committee itself has put out a statement saying nothing has been finalized. And then when it came to Southern releasing their schedule a couple of days ago, um, the Bayou Classic location says TBD to be determined. So um, that is up in the air. Um, and – you know, who knows? I mean, it's, it's just—it's like you said, it's fluid. Uh, you know, the Superdome is uh, going to be under heavy watch. You know, because the Saints—they—they need to play a you know preseason game here pretty too, pretty soon too. And and who knows what that's going to look like? And uh, the Bayou Classic and all these events that have been canceled, you know, at the Superdome throughout the throughout the summer and throughout the fall. It's 
it's it's just not happening. So the every day is a different different situation, and the Bayou Classic is currently to be determined. Um, if I had to if I had to bet, I, I would bet they're not going to play it in the Superdome, uh, just because uh, it, it's a huge place. That they're, they're you know they usually put I think they were putting their sixty two thousand last year. That that's not going to happen. Um, and uh, who knows? It's if they can play it at a smaller stadium with with uh just the you know the main people that they need they don't really they don't really need a huge facility like the superdome so if they can play it at a small place smaller place that then, then maybe they will but currently it's uh it's to be determined okay fair enough and uh speaking of to be determined let's move ahead now to uh, the 2020 lsu football season lsu was riding a high Earlier, in, of course, uh, LSU's riding a high right now. They're the defending national champs, led by well, the quarterback Joe Burrow, who's now playing in the, who's going to be expected to be playing in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals. Of course, Ed Orgeron won all sorts of awards, and that high-powered offense also had they had Clyde Edwards-Helaire, Jamar Chase, and also Justin Jefferson. I mean, that whole team was stacked in 2019 as they went on to beat Clemson in the national championship. But now, Craig, there's a uh, a recent, uh, uh, actually a couple of, uh, well, about a week, a weekend ago, excuse me, there was an outbreak that was reported at Tigerland where at least 30 LSU football players have been quarantined while several players tested positive. I know this is still an ongoing situation. Of course, this, again, this was according to numbers that were brought up by the Louisiana Department of Health. I want to ask you, because you cover LSU football as well, what yeah. have you heard in terms of not just with, the way the university has handled it, but how has Coach Orgeron and the rest of his coaching staff handled this situation with, with the players being quarantined and several uh, players being uh, testing positive due to the outbreak? Well, from a university standpoint, this is this is kind of what we know. Um, this is expected on their end, okay? So they knew when they were going to get together back for workouts that um, – that there was going to be positive tests. Okay, now they're optimistic, and what they what they know is what they've been able to contact trace is none of the tests have come back from uh, the workout facilities. Okay, what had happened with the LSU guys is, you know, some of the student athletes went out to Tigerland just because it's their first, as expected, right? You're in college, you know, we were all twenty twenty one once and all that type of stuff, and uh, it's their first weekend back with seeing their teammates in forever. There's also other people on campus that, uh, you know, other students, you know, people around in Baton Rouge is a college town. There's a lot of younger, you know, people walking around. So everyone knows the student athletes are back on campus. Hey, let's all go to Tigerland. They all went to Tigerland because, you know, when you're young, you're, you're not really, you, you see all the coronavirus stuff, but I think a lot of people, you know, they don't think it can affect them. They have the invincibility complex. And so, they all go out and they got it within the community. So LSU's um, associate, senior associate athletic trainer, athletic trainer um, Shelly Molinix, you know, she explained, look, none of this has came from within the facility. Guys went out and got it in the community, um, and now those guys are being quarantined, so they're not going to bring it back in here. And we've able, we've been able to identify all the positive tests and all the people that have come in contact with the people that tested positive. So. Um, obviously, in terms of Coach O, yeah, he, he doesn't want his guys going out, and he doesn't want anyone getting sick either, but he is smart enough to realize, you know, he doesn't control this. He doesn't control the timeline. This isn't a practice. This isn't a, this isn't a workout routine. This isn't a schedule. He has no control over this. And ultimately, 
in college football, you know, when, when guys leave the facility, that's when coaches worry the most and you can't protect them. You know, it's just, this is how it is. They're, they're under your care and your watch a lot of the times, but these are, these are 18, 19, 20 year old men that are going to make their own decisions and you can't control them 24 hours, seven days a week. So when they go out, you know, they put themselves at risk, just like everyone does when, when you leave, you know, leave the house currently. And um, so, but the, the athletic department itself at LSU uh, is basically saying, you know, they're going to be fine. They know where, they know how it happened. Uh, it hasn't come from within the facility. They're using a, they tweeted out the strength for, uh, and conditioning Twitter. Uh, they tweeted out a very extensive video of how they're cleaning the weight room and hydrogen peroxide bleach deter, uh, detergent based sort of routine that they put in spray guns and they're wiping they they spray it on all the bars and the waste and everything and every place you can imagine every nook and cranny in that weight room to to help prevent you know possible uh spread of the virus so they're going to take their precautions and uh, but ultimately if kids are going to go out and step outside then they can't protect them while they're out there Right, fair enough. That's a very that was a very interesting uh, situation that happened again. For those that um, may not be familiar with Tigerland, as Craig mentioned earlier, earlier Tigerland is a an area in uh, Baton Rouge where there's uh, where a lot of uh, college kids hang out at. There's different bars in different districts, just like on for college campuses. There's different uh, campus districts. Yeah. Tigerland is one of the many districts that they have in uh, Baton Rouge. Let's stay with LSU for a moment. So we know about the current situation that happened with the outbreak in the Tigerland area and how it affected the football players. What about other athletes, other uh, sports at LSU? We know that during the fall, football reigns supreme, but also you have uh, LSU also has a a burgeoning and -and up-and-coming basketball program, and there's track and field, and there's, of course, gymnastics is very popular on the campus. Have other athletes have been tested, or has it just been primarily the football team? Yeah, we have not received any news about other athletes, um, you know, and, and that's naturally, I think, of a product of, of one thing, and, and that's because, you know, you got 120 guys on a football team. So the the football team is going to be the most at risk in terms of, you know, because this is the, the biggest numbers. Uh, you know, the basketball team is only, what, you know, 10 to 11 guys, you know, at this point, and then they'll bring in, you know, three to four freshmen uh, come, come fall. So um, I can't imagine – I can't. We. I don't know if we're going to ever really hear about the other the other schools. And and when it comes to Baton Rouge, the city of Baton Rouge, LSU football is king. So anything that comes out media wise is is going to be LSU football because that's the that's the money maker here. That's what people care about most. Um, uh, we'll wait and see. I mean, I those other programs aren't. You know, they're not. Uh, they're not free at of being at risk. So, uh, you know, it could happen. Um, if we hear about it, I'd imagine. You know, I'd imagine we would hear about it if it did happen, but the, all the attention is going to go to LSU. So those kind of other programs <clears throat> can probably uh, float under the radar a little bit. You know, the basketball team, if, you know, if a positive test came out of the basketball team, that would probably that would probably make news. But anything else, uh, who knows? We'd probably have to fear, uh, hear from the LSU officials, and uh, I would say that's a little bit more unlikely just because, you know, the, the other teams on campus are, are smaller and, you know, the news doesn't travel as fast when it comes to the other programs. Okay, well, fair enough. And uh, speaking of news traveling fast, we know that not just with the COVID-19 pandemic, but also with a lot of news that, that has been traveling really fast is the social unrest in our country. And the New Orleans Saints, of course, uh, Drew Brees, the, the um, future Hall of Fame quarterback, he came under fire for his comments about 
with the recent events happening with George Floyd and, of course, with the uh, particularly mm-hmm. with the kneeling of uh, pertaining to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, there was a comment that he made a few years ago where he stated that um, kneeling during the national anthem was considered to be a disrespect to the flag, and he re- mm-hmm. he repeated his comments recently, and that caused a, a firestorm not just amongst the NFL and in sports and in just in everyday society, but also amongst his teammates, the ones that he go, he goes to war for on a day-to-day basis. So the 2020 Saints season, I mean, it, it, it's already been a, a firestorm already dealing with the pandemic, and then you're dealing now with not just social unrest, but with with issues in America, racial issues. I want to ask you, I know you've been covering this diligently. From what you know, what have you heard just in terms of what's the the makeup like because I know there have been meetings with Drew and he's apologized to his teammates but what is the overall what's the overall consensus of how the teammates are handling this situation we know Michael Thomas has come out and said that he's forgiven him Alvin Kamara but Malcolm Malcolm Jenkins not so much so what's kind of like what have you heard um, from the Saints camp in terms of how they've handled the situation and just moving forward yeah, well, if you know if you know the Saints, I've been I've been around the Saints since 2016, uh, early 2016 season, and uh, they have one of the best locker rooms in the NFL. Okay, in terms of the leadership dynamics, the the, the cornerstones with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, um, right? It, they they just they have one of the the best locker rooms in the NFL in terms of continuity, in terms of guys that like each other, respect each other. They all work hard for each other, right? And that's that's one of the, the uh, you know, in certain locker rooms you hear, and there's just a lot of chaos and turmoil. The Saints have never been that way in in the four seasons that I've covered them. So something like this, uh, as as unfortunate as it was, what Drew said, and 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 you know, he kind of missed any. Obviously, he said it. He missed the point. He missed the mark on his comment. He, he didn't understand something like this has actually created a wave of awareness and positivity in that locker room that it, that it wouldn't have otherwise. Okay. So I think the number one sign of great locker room leadership is the, is the ability to deal with adversity, turn it into a positive and learn from it. And that's exactly what the saints have done. Right. So um, they've had very productive conversations uh, in terms of, what happened? You know, why, why did why did Drew think it was about disrespecting the flag when it seems like everyone's been screaming at the top of their lungs? It's not about the flag. It's not about the flag. Okay, but why did Drew think it's about the flag? It's because you know he just sometimes people are blind or can't think that you know they can't they can't separate the two, the flag and the other issues that people see that the flag may represent. You know what I'm saying? So. There was a very productive conversation, but the locker room itself, yes, Michael Thomas, you know, tweeted out his forgiveness. Alvin Kamara is is still going to ride with Drew Brees. You know, Malcolm Jenkins is a guy that has been on the front lines of so many social injustice problems for a long time now. Um, But, you know, they also, if you were to ask Malcolm if, if, you know, if he still has respect for Drew Brees, of course he still has respect for Drew Brees. I mean, they won a Super Bowl together. They were teammates for four or five years together, Malcolm's first year uh, through, I don't know, 2012, I think 2012. Um, and so guys like that, 
Malcolm, you know, they might they might take a little bit longer, and maybe it does change his opinion of them. But at the end of the day, the locker room is, you know, there, there's a famous there's a famous one of my favorite football movies of all time is Remember the Titans, and Denzel Washington says to the, these guys, he says, I don't care if you like each other, but you will respect each other, right? You don't have to like everyone that you're in the locker room with. I was a college I was a college football athlete at Oregon in 2009 and 2010. I didn't like every guy in the locker room put their pads on just like me. They went out to work and they did their thing. So you're not, you don't have to like everyone, but you got to respect everyone. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, Malcolm Jenkins has respect for Drew Brees, although he may think differently of him now. So um, the Saints are one of the stronger locker rooms and, and this didn't, didn't, this didn't, you know, create a permanent divide and unsoluble uh, divide. This is actually a, a benchmark in which they were able to move forward and educate you know, maybe some of the white guys on the team that, that didn't really understand it and, and that have never had these, you know, uh, tough conversations. So um, from, from everything that we can understand, the, the conversations have been positive and the Saints have turned this, you know, slight controversy into, into a, a, um, a team-building moment moving forward. Yeah, let's hope that they move forward with this and hopefully, like you said, it can continue to – constructive dialogue that we have in, in our world right now with so much going on. So they've got that going on, Craig. And of course there's the pandemic. Now the NFL uh, commissioner Goodell, they plan to move forward with their season. As far as we know, there won't this season is, is significant because due to the pandemic, there won't be any off season workouts, no OTAs and, we may right. not have preseason. We may not have preseason this year, but the regular season is still uh, is still going to be business as usual. It's still planning to go on. So, I want to know. Recently, the medical director for the NFL Players Association says that having group workouts is not a good idea. Now, we've seen several mm-hmm. athletes. We've seen. I've seen a video where there's Cam Newton and Odell Beckham Jr. They had a workout together, and of course, Jarvis Landry right. has taken part in this as well. But now. The NFLPA medical director says group workouts, not a great idea. So I want to ask you, and and again, I know this is a fluid situation, which we talked about earlier with Southern and LSU, but not just with the Saints, but the NFL in general. Um, What are we looking like in terms of maybe September and October? And what are we looking like after October? Because there's a possible second wave and season may not finish. So uh, kind of like what's your take on um, with the NFL season going on as planned? Um, my take is the NFL is going to hold on to every hope of a season until the last possible second that they, that they might have to make a change. So they are going to hold on to it. And, and look, the timing of this thing is actually in the NFL's benefit, right? You know, they play the Super Bowl first weekend and uh, first Sunday in February. And that's kind of, you know, basically early March is when everything started kind of happening. So they've had a whole off season. They haven't had to change or shut down at all. This is just normal off season business. And, you know, the only thing that really changed this off season in terms of transactions was, you know, guys getting physicals from, from team doctors and working out at team facilities, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, they can, the, the contract can be mailed, the contract can be printed out and signed, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, the NFL is going to hold on to every hope of a season to the very last second, right? No OTAs, okay, no problem. No preseason, okay, no problem. That if we don't, that gives us three, four more weeks to just hold out hope for a regular season. And you know, uh, with all the resources that the NFL has, you know, better best believe they're going to 
they're going to be extensively testing everyone, uh, you know, probably using some sort of, I'd imagine some sort of device like the NBA has in place with the, the ring around the wrist to possibly detect symptoms three days ahead of time. But they're going to hold on to every hope they can of the season. They're going to wait it out, and they're going to wait it out, and they're going to wait it out because there's a lot of money on the line. Um, there would be a lot of upset NFL fans if they didn't play, although I think people would understand. But at the same time, uh, you know, they don't, want to, they don't want to cause any upheaval, any more upheaval in any regard uh, to what's going on, you know, to add on top of what's going on right now in terms of social unrest plus the pandemic, the last thing they want to do is act too premature and say, hey, you know, the first three games of the season are canceled. You know, they don't, they don't want to act too much premature because they have a little bit more time. Um, and obviously, t- I hate when people say time's on their side. Now, time is on no one's side. Time is not on anyone's side. Time is constantly moving. So you're getting closer and closer to a decision time. Um, but uh, they're, they're definitely going to hold on to every hope of a season that they can. And I expect them to not act too premature in any way, and uh, they're planning to just move along business as usual until they're told that they absolutely can't, you know, possibly told that. Let's stay with the NFL for a moment, Craig. Now, we know that the NBA for the for right now plans to resume their season, and they're going to be playing in the bubble in Florida, which has seen a, a major spike in coronavirus cases. Do you think the NFL will – possibly entertain that idea of maybe playing in, in the bubble in Florida or maybe in another location? Or do you think, as you said, they'll go on with business as usual and play in the different NFL cities? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, who, who knows? I, that, that's one I, I probably haven't even given as much thought of to it as I should. Um, I, I see them going to different, different cities um, just because these guys are they're, – they're, if you have two teams, and let's talk about the Saints, you know, the Saints practice facilities in Metairie, uh, you know, they're in a bubble most of the time there anyway. You know, maybe even uh, they do a team hotel where guys just go to and from the hotel uh, and to the facility, that's it. So you got that, and then you got the Bucks. you know, who they open up the season with. If the Bucks are also in their own bubble in Tampa, you know, and everyone is no no positive tests are coming back, and all the Bucks players are doing are going from the facility to the team hotel, um, and these two teams can link up on a field with no fans and, and play a game safely, in my opinion. Um, but you know, Dr. Fauci did say that a bubble a, a bubble uh, atmosphere might be best, you know, for the NFL. You know, so if that's the case, then uh, they I'm sure they could do that. They definitely have the resources for it, um, and you know, it would be it would be easy for them because it would be a big change. But it logistically, they can work it out quicker than you know a smaller school or college school or, or a high school or something like that uh, to play in their bubble. So if they do, I'm sure they will take every precaution. Um, that will be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, only time will tell. Uh, but you know, no fans. I think is going to be the the main thing that is going to be different about NFL games uh, come the fall, which is going to be just a a, a crazy thing to watch. So, um, if they do end up playing in a bubble, you know, if Dr. Fauci says it's, that's that's kind of the best route, then I'm sure they'll they'll uh, they'll knock that out and, and move along with their season again because money's on the line and TV contracts are important and you know the fans want to see the product. So, we'll, we'll, time will tell. 
Well, speaking of the product, Craig, let's get back to the Saints. We know Gail Benson is the uh, the owner of the New Orleans Saints, and we know there's a lot of money on the line, not just for the players, but more importantly for the owners because with sponsorship deals and broadcasting revenue and things of that nature. In the event if they're if they're in the in an empty Mercedes-Benz Superdome playing, the Saints are playing their games in an empty Mercedes-Benz Superdome in 2020. Are, what is the financial impact that uh, could be lost this year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of money would be lost, right? I mean, no, no attendance and, and parking and uh, all that type of stuff is is a huge part of it. Um, the NFL, I think, in that standpoint, is going to be just fine because uh, if the TV contracts are so big, right? And that you know, every team gets their cut. The NFL gets their cut of, for these TV contracts. Now, attendance, obviously, attendance, you put, you put 80,000, 90,000 people, you know, in the Superdome. That's, that's a lot of money. You know, millions of dollars are generated on, on Sundays in New Orleans um, for the Saints, for local businesses. So not just the Saints and Gail Benson's pockets, but it's, you know, all the restaurants around there that are not going to be filled with as many people because people are going to stay home and just watch the game on TV and, um, you know, I've been down to Poydras Street. I've been on Canal Street during Sundays, you know, the, after Saints games and before Saints games. And that economic impact, you, that's, you can't understate that. So, you know, everyone, every, everyone's going to lose money if people aren't in the stands. Um, <clears throat> but when you're an NFL owner, you're an NFL owner for a reason, and, and you, found, you found multiple ways to generate income and revenue for yourself. So I think the NFL owners will be just fine. Uh, take a little, you know, take a slight loss in in the in the you know the the small the small picture, but in the big picture, I think overall they'll be okay. Um, what I would be more concerned about is the um, locally owned restaurants or in and around the New Orleans area that are typically packed on Sundays, you know, for for Saints games. People that are aren't inside the stadium that uh, want to watch it and have a good time with friends and family and stuff like that. So that would be that would be uh, my primary concern. Um, but no doubt, yeah, Gail Benson will definitely lose money if there's not fans in the stands. Well, you said it earlier, Craig, uh, time is definitely not on our side. And, again, it's just a, a wait-and-see situation as this thing continue, continues to evolve and it just remains fluid and we just have to pay attention on that. So a lot going on in the world, not just in sports but in society in general. But, um, Craig, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And if people want to connect with you on social media or any website that you may have, let, let them know that. Yeah, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. It's Craig Loper, S-P-X. Craig Loper, SPX. You spell my last name L O P E R. So uh, just give me a follow on Twitter. We kind of talk, you know, sports, music, culture, comedy stuff. I'm I'm not like a hardcore sports all the time person on my social medias. You know, I, I talk about other stuff that I find funny and uh, music and things that I like. So go ahead and give me a follow on there. And I'm glad to chat and, and connect with uh, connect with anyone, man. And you heard it from him. He's Craig Loper. He is the sports reporter and anchor for the CBS affiliate WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Craig, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on the program. If ever you want to come back on, please feel free to let us know. Thanks, Ed, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. And that's going to do it for another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do, and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out, and remember, protect yourself, stay safe, and stay home. Peace.
People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. There's no better place for a change of scenery than the white sand beaches of Gulf Shores and Orange Beach on Alabama's Gulf Coast. Our beaches are open, and our destination is ready to welcome you back to our shores. We've been hard at work preparing for your return. We've missed you and can't wait to see you again. Visit gulfshores.com and start planning your escape today. There's no better place for a change of scenery than the white sand beaches of Gulf Shores and Orange Beach on Alabama's Gulf Coast. Our beaches are open, and our destination is ready to welcome you back to our shores. We've been hard at work preparing for your return. We've missed you and can't wait to see you again. Visit gulfshores.com and start planning your escape today. Yo, what's good? It's your boy, CJ King. Look, and I'm rocking with the homie, Rick Sincere. I'm going to need y'all to keep it locked right here on MTMV Sports. 